Hi everybody and welcome to another edition of Beef and Lamb New Zealand's Seen and Heard podcast. Something slightly different this week, uh, you know, we tend to focus more on technical farm productivity issues, um, the triple bottom line stuff around the environment, the economics, um, and I guess this one actually fits with the third around the social side of things. So we're going to talk today to Daniel Ebb, and I'll get Daniel in a moment to introduce himself and what he does. Um, we're talking about a project or a program that Beef and Lamb New Zealand's involved in called Open Farms, which is uh, something a bit new and a bit novel for us. Um, but we see a need. Daniel's going to explain, I think, in depth what the issue is and, and why we've he and others have come up with this idea and why Beef and Lamb New Zealand are on board. So welcome along, Daniel. I normally try and do this face-to-face, but we're Skyping, so um, you're still with me. I think we've got a pretty clear connection. Welcome to I'm still scene. here. Welcome to Seen and Heard. So look, um, usual story in, in uh, rural audiences, you have to set the scene and who you are and what you are. So um, what do you do for a, a day-to-day um, job and how did you get there? Yeah, cool. Well, um, thank you for inviting me along, Aaron. I really appreciate it. Uh, so I've kind of got a bit of a foot in both camps when we kind of talk about the urban living and, and living rurally and on the land. Uh, family farms up in Northland, a little town called Papurua. And uh, I'm also a marketer. I run a digital marketing agency called Dirt Road Communications uh, with a specific focus on transformation in our food system. Mm-hmm. Um I spent a couple of years in London, as all young, soul-searching millennials do, and kind of had a, as all millennials do, a crisis of faith moment. Um, what am I doing with my life? How do I make impact? And it was looking back on uh, the memories and the, the profound joy that I took from my time at the farm that encouraged me into this kind of fusion of communications and the basic good stuff that comes from life on the land and um, that's where Dirt Road Comms comes from and that's what I'm doing today and I love it. Cool, so so that uh, Dirt Road Comms, I mean you're, you're working with commercial clients who are in the food business, so can you uh, give us an idea of who some of them might be? Just an idea yeah, sure. Yep, yeah. uh, do some work with New Zealand King Salmon, mm-hmm. I do some work with um, a few startups, uh, a big one that I can't quite name at the moment, yep. but uh, maybe if it goes really well, I'll come back on the podcast, who knows? Cool. Um, and um, I've done some work with Beef and Lamb as well, work with Farmers Weekly. Um, I, tr- I try and bring sort of a younger, probably a little bit more progressive point of view, uh-huh. but quite grounded in what modern communications does well and what we're starting to realize really works and uh-huh. that's articulating the why of uh-huh. your product or articulating the why of your operation you know we've focused for a long long time on the what like driving uh-huh. production and that kind of good stuff but these days it's becoming more and more critical that we kind of resonate with people on a gut level and uh-huh. um that's that's where i really focus yeah now it's interesting just um been in Beef and Lamb New Zealand for a while, I've seen the same gradual pivot, the, the stuff around growing good lambs and growing great beef and that sort of thing is still really important, but ultimately, um, what are you doing it for and who's who ultimately wants it and are you delivering what they want? So that's a nice segue. Um, the, the, the elevator pitch, if you like, is on Sunday the 1st of March, we're hoping to have a whole lot of bona fide farms uh, open their gate, open farms effectively to invite people on to come and see what's going on. So we're going to get more into the, the, the what and how and that sort of thing, but um, why? Why is, uh, who came up with the idea and, and why? What's the driver behind it? What's the issue? 
Yeah, that's that's a good question, and it's it's a big long question that actually works really well on a podcast. Um, in short, it's because we've got an urban rural divide issue, mm-hmm. um, and I, I don't really like using that term. Uh, but it's kind of the, the colloquial language. And when I say that, I think a lot of people kind of innately understand what that is. Um, you know, from a sort of more technical perspective, it's, it's been up and down in the KPMG agribusiness agenda as one of the top 10 considerations and concerns for the industry for a long time now. Um, and, and I know Beef and Lamb's done some really good work trying to get to the bottom of it. And it seems like every couple of weeks, a pundit jumps on national radio and talks about it. Though it exists, but it's really hard to get to grips with and fundamentally understand what's happening. Um, so when I looked at that, I thought, right, is it a demographic issue? It's not. Uh, the actual urban-rural population change hasn't changed more than uh-huh. uh, 1.52% in almost 30 years. It's actually stayed relatively consistent. Um you know, is it an environmental issue? We know that that's kind of a flashpoint between uh, urban populations and consumer populations and producer populations. Um, you know, we're making significant progress on environmentalism. We're, we're one of the best producers in the world on that side, and we are making progress on it, and we talk about it all the time. So that didn't actually feel like the root issue. Uh-huh. Um, you know, could the root issue be a political divide? You know, half the, you know, the countryside's all blue, the urban population centres are red, maybe that's got something to do with it. But when I put my sort of marketing and media hat on, I think it's something else. I think it's based on the fact that the way we shape our viewpoint of the world, the way we consume news and information has fundamentally changed in the last five years, 10 years. And that's pretty much in line with when we started talking about the urban-rural divide. I had a look back at the Google search terms, um, which is quite a good way to judge you know, current trends and topics, and they pretty much be the urban-rural divide as a search term almost lines up exactly in sync with when Facebook hit um, a majority of uh, New Zealanders uh-huh. as, as, a, as a user base. It's, it's quite uncanny. Um, so to give you a little bit of context, 2.4 million Kiwis use Facebook every day. Uh-huh. The average amount of times we log into Facebook each day is 14 times per day. Uh-huh. And Facebook accounts for 53% of all the web traffic to the big five New Zealand media organizations, Herald, Stuff, TVNZ, News Hub, etc. So... You know, I think a lot of people will innately get this. You know, uh-huh. We used to all sit and watch the news or read the paper, and you'd have an editorial team pick the news and provide a balanced perspective. Um, you know, it was really credible. We all read the same news. Uh-huh. These yep. days, because we're using something like Facebook or because we're using something like Twitter as our main source, or more and more of us are using it as their main source or their main gateway to, to news sources, it's really important to recognize that your Facebook feed is not a representation of the real world. Your Facebook feed is a representation of you. Uh-huh. You pick the friends who then funnel news to you. You follow the organization, news organizations that you like uh, and, you know, and see yourself represented back with. Um, even when you search um, in Google, 
uh, your your innate biases dictate what information comes back at you. If you typed into Google, is New Zealand dairy dirty or is New Zealand dairy sustainable, you'd get two very different search results. Hmm. So that's that's yep. the lie of the land that we're living in from an information perspective. And, you know, you, it's the same issue you want to talk about Trump or Brexit and you know, all that kind of stuff. It's actually the same issue that's happening with the urban-rural divide. A person's Facebook feed who's living in Ponsonby is going to look completely different from a person's Facebook feed who's living in Hawara, for example. And that's, to me, is the core of the problem, is that you've got these two populations who are looking and consuming information that's completely different or, or, or largely different from from their counterpart. And so, of course, we're going to have disagreements about you know, the quality of waterways. Are farmers doing enough uh, environmental work? Of course, we're going to have different influences on us about you know, how should we, how much protein should we be eating? Um, it's it's almost inevitable then that you have a divide if we're unable to see the perspective of the other. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to just tease out a wee bit. There's, there's that correlation there you're talking about with the the tipping point of Facebook to majority status, or whatever the term you was, and it's the same time the urban rural divide started to become a thing um, in in media and Google searches. What's the causation there? Not just the correlation. It is because it's you stop when you get your information that way you stop getting information from that part of the world that you're not connected with so if you live in town your information solely comes from that source and vice versa is that that's what's happening it's a sort of a, 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 a the echo chamber type thing happening or, or uh, people are using social media to push negative information about farming and create that divide so yeah it's, it's probably a little bit of both mm. um so for example you know, um, if I'm sure if you took Farmers Weekly's Facebook followership and, and sort of sliced and diced it and looked at it from a demographic perspective, it would be predominantly rural and obviously it wouldn't be urban because urban people won't self-select to receive that information. Yeah. But there's also, there's kind of an outrage bias on social media uh -huh. that, you know, let's put, let's, you know, I hate to sort of, Play stereotypes, but you say you have a really traditional sheep and beef farmer, fifty-year-old guy, um, and he's seldom going to see any of the good news mm. about, or quote-unquote, good news about veganism or plant-based diets, because uh -huh. none of none of the either news sources that he's following on his feed, or his friends and family that he follows on his feed, are exposed to that kind of information yeah. they're not going to share it what you will see though is did you hear that story about the vegan mum whose daughter in america died because she didn't give her enough protein god uh -huh. that's terrible that's the kind of thing that's the outrage bias you know things yeah. that make you angry or even you know there's also a cat bias because cat videos seem prolific yeah. on social media but it's the same kind of concept um so when I said right at the start that your social media feed is not a representation of the real world, it's a representation of you and your uh -huh. and your biases, that's that's the fundamental thing that we need to understand. And uh, it's Facebook's been you know dominant for five years now and really we're playing a big experiment on ourselves because 
it's you know, this is probably going a little bit too in depth, and it's a maybe a topic for for another podcast. But um, we're fundamentally changing the way we view the world through this lens of social media and, and digital media. And to me, that's the main driver of the urban rural divide. I'm sure there's some other stuff in there, but yeah, I, I think I think that's it. Mm. So it's interesting, actually, and having looked at some of the research that Beef and Lamb have done. On some of the social, it may not have been, but us, it's, certainly we've reported it or shared it. Th that urban rural divide has happened. It, it's not inherently negative itself, and in that um, people still often, at a gut level, have a respect or an appreciation. You know, non-urban uh, people, non-farming people, have an appreciation for farming, the rural life. But it creates a, a vacuum. You're saying they're easy for easy for negative stories to, to fill. Is that the, they? Yeah, I'm sort of uh, caught up my head, trying to remember off the top of my head here that at a base level, people said they still like farming, but they uh, certainly accept at face level stories about pollution, environmental damage, those sorts of things. Is, is that what, what's going on? You're exactly right. Um, and so, you know, again, coming back to uh, Facebook's uh, representation of you, not the real world. In the real world, four out of five people have a really positive view of farmers. Mm -hmm. um, that was the UMR research from about six months ago. Earlier research from MPI in 2017 had about a, a pretty similar um, pretty similar uh, result. About four out of five people across across the board in New Zealand have a really positive view of farmers. People, mm -hmm. people love farming. Like it's, 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 there's very few people out there that are in this really volatile, vocal uh -huh. minority but again the, that doesn't necessarily translate into your viewpoint of the world because uh -huh. the only thing you're seeing is the stuff that gets really commented on and shared uh -huh. the vegans in the supermarket the vegan protests and, and it it throws out our vision of reality um and so what we've you know, probably might be jumping the gun a little bit but the open farms project is not about feeding those biases. It's actually about playing in that that real space in the middle. Uh -huh. that it's playing in the space where four out of five people think farming's awesome. Like, yeah, they probably disagree with a bit of practices and they don't like seeing some of the things that they are reading about, but you know, they still love the idea of animals. They still love the idea of you know bird life on farm and you know beautiful uh -huh. mornings with the sun rising over the horizon and the farmer and his tractor like. This is this is stuff that's innately good, and that it that gets that stuff gets shared in farmer social media for sure. Like there's heaps of it, and it's awesome. Uh -huh. Shared in, in that urban perspective and that urban bubble, um, and so understanding that separation. And it, it's funny because when you actually talk about the urban rural divides, people will really kind of say what I'm saying. They maybe uh -huh. don't articulate it the way I'm articulating because I live in this world. But they're like, oh, it's, you know, don't believe what you read on Facebook. And that's basically it. <laughs> like, it yeah. isn't really anything new. I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm just trying to yeah. like, articulate the problem so then I can fix it. So you, you may have actually just touched on it there, sort of what I was thinking of my next question is, uh, if, if there's this correlation and causation between social media generally and you know, Facebook's the big player in that, with this rise of the urban-rural divide, why not use social media and Facebook to counter it? Why have you gone to a physical uh, visit to a farm effectively, which we'll talk a bit more about the details later on. What's the, uh, is it just easier that way or that's a way to sort of um, 
not not play in that space and try and uh, be asymmetrical, I guess, in how you engage, or, or what's the idea? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Um, so we, we will we will use social media uh-huh. um, because it can also be a real force for good, and we've we've seen that on multiple occasions across multiple topics and in, in areas in the world. Um, but if it's purely going to be social media and media driven, then you run the risk of just basically feeding those bias bubbles again. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of great campaigns out there. I mean, I'm sure a good one, a good example will be, um, you know how you can add a profile picture or, or like a, an overlay onto your uh-huh. Facebook profile picture. Yeah. Um, you might have seen some with the rainbow flag in support of LGBT causes. Um, uh-huh. uh, I think there was one after the Paris terror attacks as well. And there's recently been one which is a uh, green heart that says, I love farmers or, or I, I back farmers or something along those lines. And it's a Kiwi initiative. Uh-huh. Awesome. That's only going to be on people who are farmers yeah. or who are in the farming uh-huh. you know, bubble. That's that's it's, it's a great initiative. I'm supportive of it. But you've got to recognize that those that's the limitation of Facebook. Facebook and social media are just like social networks. Um, they're just digital versions of a network in, in real life. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, you can use it, and we definitely will use it, but we're going to use it as, as a support to something else, which is far more powerful um, than just, I think, information and content in this uh-huh. massively content-rich world we live in, and that's personal experiences. Okay. Well, let's talk about that something more powerful. Sunday, 1st of March. Now, the sun's going to shine, the weather's going to be good, but what's actually going to be happening? So on the surface, it's actually it's, it's actually a dangerously basic concept. <laughs> um, it's so simple. Um, we, are, we built a platform that basically democratizes and streamlines open farm process, open farm day process. So we've, on the farmer side, we've, we've basically answered all the questions that a farmer would have about uh-huh. hosting an open farm day on their property. What about health and safety? What do I say to my insurance company? How should I structure the day? How many volunteers should I have? What activities should I run? You know, if I want to do, if I want to make, put on a barbecue, can I do that? Uh-huh. Do I have to do, do I have to get a certificate or something? But so we've basically gone through that whole planning process and produced a book, a handbook. It's uh-huh. here's your answer to every question. Uh, we've even, you know, made risk assessment templates that, you know, don't tell MPI, but um, you could use to help, you know, push your uh, push your, your risk assessment along. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that takes a lot of the planning off farmers. The other piece that we've done is we've built a website uh, where you log your own uh, farm event, open farm event profile, uh-huh. and you tell people what to expect, um, this is the way the event's going to run. You set how many visitors you'd like to attend. You set what times the thing are, the, the, the event's going to run to and from. Uh, and you structure it in your own way. Um, is a, a, uh, One of the event descriptions I really like is from um, a sheep farmer in the Manawatu who basically wants to run his event along the life cycle of a sheep. Uh-huh. He's going to have a couple of young sheep at one part of the farm and he's going to talk about lambing and he's going to talk about what makes uh, you know, a good mother, uh, what the process looks like. And then the farm walk is going to progress to uh, older sheep. And, and that's how he's going to structure his day. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, other ones, other, other formats 
depending on what sect you have. We've got a medicinal herb farm on Banks Peninsula who want to do it about human health. That's farming. That's you know that's um, food production or or you know, fiber production, and and it belongs within the open farms framework. Yeah. Um, and so the end result is we've got you know dozens of farms up online who are ready to host on Sunday the first of March, and then we run a visitor marketing campaign that doesn't really talk about anything that we've just talked about in terms of the urban rural divide and how do we reconnect with people and all that kind of good stuff that talks about or talks to that middle ground that I kind uh-huh. of referenced the that desire for a lot of people right now to feel connected back to their food and to the land yeah um there was a wonderful line from a Kiwi mum uh, in our urban market research panel. And she said, I need to take my kids back to the source. Uh-huh. And, and that, that's, that's the middle ground. That's the thing that Facebook, social media will never talk about or yeah. very seldom because it's not outrageous and that kind of thing. But that's the innate truth. And that's the thing that connects your old school farmer with your liberal millennial in Ponsonby. Yeah. And so that's where we're building open farms. Um, so that'll be the visitor marketing campaign. It's basically saying, look, these are individual kiwi farmers that want to that want to show you where your food comes from, that want to host you and your family uh, for a day where you can k- reconnect with the land in a really genuine, um, practical, hands-in-the-dirt sense. And that's yeah. why it's not complicated. It's simple, really. We're just making it easy for the farmers and we're making it easy for the visitors. Yep. So how many farms then? Oh, so you, you touched there that you've got farmers of all types. This isn't just sheep mm-hmm. and beef or just dairy. It's, you know, we're interested in most primary production forms. How many are you hoping to have? Are you still looking for some? Or are, we, um, are we using this as a bit of a promo? Uh, we're definitely using this as a promo. Yeah. <laughs> um, we would like to get as many as possible. Uh-huh. The, the, the beauty of having a digital platform like that is that it can scale. You know, I've yep. built the website. I've been on cur costs, whether it's one farm or a hundred. Uh-huh. Um, so we can take as many as, uh, as we can get. Um, I think we'll get around about, depending on the success of the podcast, uh, probably around about 50 uh-huh. on the day, which isn't bad for a year one. Uh-huh. Uh, we're modeling it off a, uh, initiative in the UK called Open Farm Sunday. That started 14 years ago, and they now get 300,000 people to about 400 farms a year. Uh, yeah, so this is not a one-off. This is planning on being an annual thing? Absolutely, yep. absolutely. Yep. So, so the website's openfarms.co.nz. Farmers who are listening to this think they'd maybe like to have a go, want to find out more information. That's where they go to find a lot of what you were talking there before you tried to think of all the questions and have access <laughs> to them. Farmers are practical people. Yep. Has it? I basically just sat down with my dad and said, right, <laughs> when when you do this, dad, uh, what are you going to ask? Yep. And, uh, and so I picked his brain. So you help market it, but a lot of the event planning, there's some guidelines there. I mean, what does a farmer take on if they say they think it's a good idea? I'll have a look. I'm quite keen to have a go. What, what are they actually going to have to take on themselves and do? So that's that's the piece that, that, that a farmer needs to own. But yep. it's the right piece for them to own. Farmers are good at farming, uh-huh. and they're, you know, and they're really proud of what they do. Uh, they're not good at marketing. Uh-huh. So 
generally. Yep. Some of them out there that are really good. But let us do that. You focus on on asking some pretty, you know, they're, they're quite tough questions. But the first question we ask or we prompt farmers to think about is, what are you most proud of? Like, uh-huh. we, we hear this term all the time, you know, we want to tell our farming story. Okay, what's your farming story? Uh-huh. That, that's a hard question to answer. To, uh, to answer. I, I get that um, because it takes a bit of introspection. But, um, you know, the, the farmers that have answered that and have already signed up, and I read through their event descriptions on, you know, on the back end of the website, and it's, it's amazing to see the diversity and the variability between even sheep and beef farms in the same place, how different they want to take their sheep and beef story. Um, You know, we've got one in uh, Dunedin who, all about environmentalism, you know, they're working really hard to increase biodiversity, working really hard um, with their planting programs, and there's going to be a sharing demonstration as well. But that's, that's the piece that they want to show people. That's the piece that they think people are interested in. That's the piece that they are really proud of. We did a pilot event up in Kaipara with David Kidd, one of your uh, farmer counselors. Uh And I was like, David, what do you want to show? He said, I want to show people physically by holding up the the, the container what uh, animal health applications I apply to my Uh stock. Because I'm really proud of how minimal it really is, and I think people would be interested in that. Yeah. But that's what he demonstrated with a with a presentation. So, and and that's that's kind of the beauty of it because when you're standing there in front of, you know, it can be as small as twenty five people. That's our minimum visitor number. Uh-huh. Um, when you're standing there in front of four families and you're, you know, talking with pride and you're talking with genuine, um, you know, sort of love for what you're doing. That's it's it's like the complete opposite of social media or Facebook. You know, that's yep. you you can't replicate that in the digital world, and that's what people want to see these days. We we, we, we don't want any more polished videos from big brands telling us to buy this or buy that. We actually just want to shake someone's hand who's made the food that we're going to eat. Like you know, we yep. want to see where the stuff is grown. We want to meet a real animal. It's it's so funny that you know, it's not about getting more, being bigger, or doing things faster or more tech. We're actually seeing, or we want to revert back to the source. And um, funny enough, it came up in your recent podcast with with Hugh Good about um, uh, futures. It was a return to providence, a return to naturalness. Uh-huh. We're very much working in the same vein here. Um, and so that's what we've tried to do. Um, we just want farmers to tell their story and, you know, we'll help set the parameters and we'll help get them there. But plan for what you're going to do on the day and then just do it. Like I say, 25 visitors, that's not too hard. Um, they can be there for an afternoon walk and then they're gone. And you feel good about yourself. You've helped bridge the urban rural divide. See, Anna. You touched on something there that's really interesting that, um, yeah, I do podcasts because I've got a, a face for radio, but you can go on Instagram and apply any sort of filter and uh, make all sorts of things look good. But, you know, this provenance, authenticity, realism. I know one of the things when we've asked farmers, particularly if it's nothing to do with productivity, you know, we were trying to improve land production, et cetera, et cetera, but things like the Farm Environment Awards, and I'd imagine with this, often the re- response we get 
is uh, maybe in a year or two. I'm, I'm not ready yet. I haven't quite got mm. the farm where I want to get. Um, have you heard that from farmers? And if so, what would be your response to them? Because I know in the farm environment was there are farms that do fantastically well once you can finally encourage the farmer. They don't think they've quite finished the job, but yeah, a farm's like a painting. It's never finished. It's just uh, <laughs> abandoned. The word not quite abandoned, but you know you're never quite done. So uh, yeah, long, long yeah. question. You know, know what I'm trying to say? What do you say? I about know exactly farm? what like, you're trying oh, to say. Maybe next year. We've heard <laughs> the amount of times I've heard that. So I'm calling farmers like dozens a day at the moment, just cold calling, trying to get them to participate. And I yep. hear that probably 20 times a day. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, I get it. Listen, I get it. You know, I'm, I just came back from five days on the farm and every time I see like a wire strainer that's just not sitting right, you're like, oh, that irks <laughs> me. It's, uh, I get it. I get it. But As someone who's 60% of rural, of, of urban, 60, let me start that again. 60% of urban Kiwis don't visit friends or family in rural New Zealand. Uh-huh. That's MPI research from 2017. It's New Zealand's, New Zealanders views of the primary sector research. That's huge. Yeah. Like that's massive. And so if 60% of urban Kiwis haven't visited a farm in say 10 years more, do you think they're really going to care about a wire strainer that's in the wrong place or some scrap metal that's lying around or you know a half-finished fencing job? That, that's, that's not what they're coming to see. They're not coming to see perfection. They're coming to see the real stuff. And so it's, it's, it's kind of it's, it's trying to look at your farm and, and, and your role in society as a, as a producer of food that mm. people feed to their kids and seeing it from their perspective. Yep. yep. So, and, and so I get it's not going to be for every farmer. And, you know, hopefully in year two we grow because, you know, farmers like to see it proven on the ground before they do anything. And I understand that and I appreciate that. But if we keep waiting to be perfect and we keep relying even on the likes of Beef and Lamb or, you know, these other organisations to put together pretty videos and, and do media campaigns... Uh-huh. We're not going to get there. We're going to get there when we are a little bit vulnerable, when we try something new, when we be brave, and we show people the things that we're proud of. And and, and that's what we've tried to build as a platform that enables farmers to do that. And so I can't guarantee what's going to happen on the day. This is the first time. I'm doing this for the first time as well. But I can guarantee you that people want to see the real stuff yeah. and and that's the, the benefits for doing that that we've talked about um, i know when we've had these are more productivity programs internally you monitor farmers and things even my late father used to talk about you in a goldfish bowl when people come onto your place and all looking at you and that's just other farmers but goldfish bowls tend to attract cats and predators um, <laughs> i know you know there is a risk with uh it might be a tiny vocal minority but they're very vocal that they see this as an opportunity to to turn up i mean is that a, likely to be a real risk uh, you thought about that how how to deal with it yep good question good question and, and we have thought about it it is something that comes up in conversations um so we've included that in the host handbook uh-huh. and there's, there's a couple of layers to this uh so one um we we, we were adamant at the start that it's all food and fiber producers. So we've got, you know, market gardens that 
trade at the farmer's market. This is about individual farmers telling their story. Yeah. It's, it's less about sort of cheerleading for the industry. Uh-huh. It's, it's, it's a very different thing. And, and you can see that in a lot of our messaging. You can see that uh, in, in a lot of how we've tried to portray what we're trying to do. Um, second point is I am in the process of reaching out to these organizations um, who are in the activist space. I uh-huh. genuinely believe that they have a, a role in our food system. You know, they're eaters and consumers and shoppers like anybody else. Um, uh-huh. You know, um, I've done a podcast myself on with, with a vegan activist and there's some reasonable people uh-huh. who have some really reasonable, valid views that we need to listen to. You know, they're, they are part of the food system. Um, I'm trying to find a way to kind of bring them on board or at least feel like this is for them because they also feel that innate truth that we talked about, that farming is good for the world and, you know, we growing nutritious food in partnership with nature is our only way forward. Um, so that's the second piece. Uh, and then the third piece is we give farmers some really good concrete guidelines on how to have a difficult conversation. Um, you know, I love farmers. They're not always the best at interpersonal relations. Yeah. Some people farm because they don't want to meet yeah. people. <laughs> um, you know, no offense to anyone out there. Um, but we do give some really basic guidelines. Um, it's an approach called the PARS model. And it's just kind of a step-by-step of how to have a difficult conversation, but in a constructive way. And um, those steps are, first one is you just show some concern. So you just pack as a bit of empathy. Um, you listen to what they have to say and you just mirror it back at them. And you say, oh, I'm hearing that you're concerned about bobby calves. Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult topic. I agree. Uh-huh. It's a tough one. It's a tough conversation to have. The second piece is um, action. Just tell them what actions you take on the farm. You, you don't have to defend every farmer. You don't have to defend the industry. Say, so this is what we do on this farm with our bobby calves. Let me show you. Let's, let's walk through it. Um, then it's uh, reason. You tell them the reason why you take that action. You know, we need to do this because this is you know, how we need to stay competitive or uh, we do it this way because um, that's the best process for, for our region and for our for our model. Um, you know, that's, those are the reasons that you do the thing. You've got to be open and transparent in, in this day and age. Uh, and then finally, you look for shared values. You say, you know, we know that there's projects happening in the industry to reduce the number of bobby calves. We're really supportive of those. You know, I'm sure you are supportive of that as well. Right. And, you know, that, that's, you know, I mentioned vulnerability before. And this is the only direction of travel we have. Um, you know, there's, your listeners might be aware of, like, ag-gag rules in the States uh-huh. uh, where, you know, people go to jail if they film poultry operations that are, you know, yeah, they're poorly, poorly performing and, and, and the like of that. And if we ever go down that route, we're going to lose, uh. frankly, because we're trying to tell the story. We're trying to tell the Taste Pure Nature story, um, which is such an awesome, beautiful story. You know, it's just you know, when I talk about that innate truth, you know, that, uh-huh. that feeling inside you, you get when you see sun rising, the horizon, and happy animals ex- expressing their, you know, their natural instincts and that kind of good stuff. And it just feels right. That cannot sit in a model or or an industry that isn't transparent. It just doesn't work. 
particularly in a day of social media age where, where the outrage will flow and outrage flows both ways. Mm-hmm. You know? Yep. Um, so yeah, it's got to be about trust and it's got to be about transparency. And um, if we're not comfortable with that, then either we need to change the model um, or if we are comfortable with it and we're prepared to defend it, then we've got to open up and be prepared to be vulnerable and have those conversations. Um, and, and, and I get that that's hard, you know, but, um, but this is the direction of travel. And from an international perspective, that Open Farm Sunday in the UK that I talked about, um, their research shows that less than 2% of farms have any kind of disruptive behaviour, and that's not just protesters, that's, you know, making something or being a flight. That's, you know, that's less than 2%. I mean, we're, 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 we're going to not fix the urban rural divide because someone might get uncomfortable. Nah, sorry, that doesn't gel with me. Yeah, no, it's that um, saying in politics, and it? it's never the scandal; it's the cover-up that's the issue. <laughs> but um, you know, there are things yeah. uncomfortable in life, but it makes it a whole lot worse if people think you've been trying to hide it from them, or, or, or greenwashing is the other term, isn't it? Trying to claim that's exactly all sorts it. Of good things that aren't happening, and we know on farms some things are a bit uncomfortable. I know. Um, yeah, another analogy is with hunting. I do a bit of that, and and, and the saying there is, there are anti-hunters, and a lot of them have principal positions, fair enough, but they're not the real risk to the future of hunting. It's the mm-hmm. non-hunters who can become anti-hunters if, if hunters drive them that way. And I'd see the same here. You know, a lot of non-farmers could become anti-farmers if, um, if, if we don't do our bit. And this is, I guess, one way of getting around that. Now, looking at the length of time we've been going on, we've talked about, you know, that the, the the issues, what's required. We just talked about some of the risks, um, the the benefits of the program as a whole to the industry. What about for individual farms that get in this? Are they um, some opportunities for themselves to leverage a bit of benefit off it if they've got a product line or a side business or a B and B or anything like that? Is that okay for them to use it to to push that? Absolutely. That's 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 a secondary reason why we built it. Um, uh-huh. It is mandated that. You can't charge for the farm tour or the yeah. experience, and likewise, we'll never charge hosts to, to operate with us. We're entirely sponsorship funded. Shout out to Beef and Lamb for being a, a major and founding partner of this. They f- guys funded the strategy round as well as the you know the, the rollout. So a huge a huge thank you to you guys. Um, so we'll never charge. Uh, farmers to host uh-huh. and will never charge visitors to attend. Um, but if you've got a product line that you want to offer on the day, have at it, sell away. Um, if you've got something that you want to promote, capture um, email addresses while you're there. We'll, we'll even help you with that. Um, if visitors um, tick a box in their registration process, if they're happy for us to share your details, their details with farmer hosts for uh-huh. promotional purposes, you'll get visitor emails. And, and, and there's no better way to build a brand community and off the back of a personal experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's like seeing and tasting and touching, you know, that is the best marketing there is. Um, And it drives word of mouth, which is the second best marketing there is. Um, And so, you know, if you are starting a diversification or you're considering a direct-to-consumer brand, I've actually been really impressed by the number of farmers who put up their hands and say, yeah, we're in the the initial stage of doing direct-to-consumer I think that's awesome great way to go this is a really really good starting point you know you might come out of the day with 100 facebook likes on your new mm-hmm. facebook page that's that's enough to grow 
Yeah. So there you go. Open Farms program is going to help them do their, their first sort of uh, physical marketing event, if you like. So, <coughs> excuse me. Um, look, we've, we've covered a fair bit of ground and probably looking at time start to wrap up a wee bit. One of my last questions, though, is more for you, Daniel. Had this bright idea, worked with partners. I know Beef and Lamb New Zealand are a partner. I think Dairy and Z are one. Um, who else are the sort of the main funders, partners that you got working with you? Yep, so we've kind of got two tiers. We've got sponsors, so uh -huh. Beef and Lamb, Dairy and Z, the Outland and Water National Science Challenge are on board uh -huh. as a sponsor, and so is Farmside, powered by Vodafone. So a big shout-out and uh -huh. thank you to all of them for making it happen. Awesome. Uh, and then we've got about, I should know this off the top of my head, but I think we're about 14 channel partners across uh -huh. the industry. So that's anyone from AWGT, the Agri Women's Development Trust, uh, Rural Women, uh, Ag Crowd, the community Facebook group, um, Eat New Zealand, Federated Farmers, Farmers Weekly, Farmlands. Um, it's 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 funny. I think when you have quite, a, it's again when you play in that middle ground that kind of everyone innately gets that innate truth. It's quite easy to uh -huh. get partners on board. Everyone wants to be part of a good mission that's going in the right direction. Um, so yeah, we're really lucky to have to have all those partners, and they're helping us get some comms out there and, uh, and supporting it with some of the membership as well. So we look forward to seeing how it's going, but given what you've done so far, what's what have you learned that you didn't know when you first started, <laughs> went into it with the, you, know, and you, you had, what you talked at the start, you had a pretty good idea of some of the things that were going on, but what's surprised you or, or been officials or things you've learned, maybe there's some good things you've learned in this process. Um, I've learned never to start anything new because you'll never, you'll never sleep again. Yeah. Um, no, well, I mean, from a personal perspective, I've learned how much I love my fiance, who's just been just incredible. It's, but, uh, shout out to her. Yeah, shout out to the biggest shout out to her. Actually. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, it's, it's touch wood. It's all kind of gone roughly to plan. Mm. I'll, I'll be honest, the farmer signups haven't been as easy as I thought it would be. Maybe I'm a little bit too optimistic. Um, we did some some rural research and you know, kind of every farmer I picked up the phone and had a yarn to was like, yep, this is awesome. Help me in. I thought it's going to uh -huh. be piece of cake. It will be getting the urban folk that will be the hard part. Uh -huh. And it's been hard, I'll yep. be honest. Um, and, and for a number of really good reasons. And I would never, ever pressure a farmer to doing it. I totally understand where they're coming from. Um, the good news is we've got enough to move forward. We've got enough to prove the model works, and I think it'll roll from there. Um, uh -huh. And that's the thing to focus on. Um, but yeah, I think maybe I, what I'm learning, what I've learned, is that you know, it's hard to be vulnerable, uh -huh. and, and and people need time to 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 try something new. Um, yeah. And and so we've gone back and recut the host handbook a few times. We've added things to the website. I've spent a lot of time just on the phone talking to farmers, talking them through it, and trying to, to reassure that, A, this is the direction of travel. You're going to have to get here eventually. B, we are here to, to back you. Yeah. you know, this, this, is, this is a grassroots um, organisation done with the right reasons and the right motives. Um, so no, I get that, and I get yeah. that. And um, you know, that, that's a good thing to remember because you know, I'm, I'm all about from a personal perspective, I'm all about like positive change and positive impact. You know, I've got ten ideas floating around in my brain about how we fix the food system, and remembering that change is hard, even if it's for the right reasons, um, is is a good thing to know. And um, 
you know, classic farmers are practical people and um, a good lesson. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Having worked for a long time with beef and lamb and its predecessors and sort of on-farm productivity stuff, there's a real parallel there. The analogy we used was that, and it, this isn't meant to be offensive, it's about the same farmers are like penguins. <laughs> they all want to jump in the water. I mean, there is quite a high, you know, farmers tend to be entrepreneurial, like change. And I don't think I'm talking out of turn here. The farmers I know love new ideas. Yep. Certainly New Zealand yep. farmers do. It's a culture of sharing ideas. It's great. But they all crowd, penguins all crowd up to the edge of that ice flow, but somebody's got to go in first. Yep. And, um, yeah, people, every penguin, if you asked, would say, yeah, I want to go in the water, but you've got to get those first ones to jump. And once one goes and doesn't get eaten by the leopard seal, then the rest are happy mm-hmm. to go. And mm-hmm. So, look, I hope, um, you know, this year might um, you get your 40, your 50, but uh, hopefully the numbers grow as people see that um, they don't have 101 protesters turning up at the gate and <laughs> goes well and they sell um, a few more nights at the, the B&B or, or whatever it may be that um, it'll grow. But got to start somewhere, Daniel. We certainly do. We certainly do. Yeah, and I'm... And I'm you know, just to counter that last piece is that I am 100% optimistic that we are going to get there because, you know, as Kiwi farmers, if Kiwi farmers are penguins, more of us jump into the water faster than anywhere else. Yeah. Um, And so that's the thing that I'm I'm looking forward to is this thing accelerating and growing. And um, I've already got an email in my inbox today about, you know, do you want to do this globally? I'm like, oh, God, (laughs) let me just do it here first. Let me... Yeah. Just go surf and sleep for a week and then we'll take care of it. I just hope your fiance doesn't listen to the podcast then. Um, <laughs> hey, Lucky, uh, I think we might wrap up there. That's a really so openfarms.co.nz. Uh, yep, openfarms.co.nz. We'll put that link in the, in the blurb here on the podcast. Anything we've missed or any key message you want to get across before we wrap up? No, no, no. I, think that's, I think that's about it. Might have to go over beer. I think so. Hey, look, uh, <laughs> Daniel Ebb from Dirt Road Comms and founder of the Open Farms program here in New Zealand. Thank you very much for your time. We um, had to go back and forth a bit to get face-to-face, or we couldn't get face-to-face, so we've done this virtually, but luckily the internet gods have played their part. Sound quality's been good, and um, congratulations. Looking forward to seeing how it goes on Sunday, the 1st of March. Thank you very much, Aaron. Much appreciated, mate. All right. Thanks, Dan. Catch you later. Bye.